Our main reading this morning is going to come from the Gospel of Mark. I encourage you to turn there to chapter 10, Mark chapter 10. Now, Lord willing, in a few weeks, I plan to resume the series we were previously in on what it means to be human, looking at a biblical doctrine of bearing the image of God. But this morning, and for a handful of sermons, the next two or three weeks, I want to lay before you some of the texts and some of the themes that have weighed most heavily on me during the sabbatical, related to some of the reading that I've been doing and relating to thinking about where we are in the life of this church. Now, it is no secret to anyone who is here, we have a lot of kids, disproportionately so compared to many churches, for the number of people that we have, more than a third are children, and that's wonderful. But that means we have to give careful thought to how God relates to our children and how our children relate to his kingdom. And so we come to consider that this morning out of the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. Look with me at the word of the Lord in verse 13. And they were bringing children to him, that is to Jesus, that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw it, he was indignant. And said to them, let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Let's ask the Lord to work by his spirit, especially in us as we consider together. Let's pray. Almighty, gracious Father, our whole salvation depends on true understanding of your holy word. So we ask that you would please grant to our hearts, freed from worldly affairs, freed from distractions this morning, to hear and to understand your word and to do so with all diligence and faith, so that we could rightly discern what your will is for us, so that we could receive with joy and praise the truth that you have given We ask that you would help us to cherish who our Savior is in light of this passage, and that we would know how to communicate these things even to the littlest. We ask this for your praise and glory through our Lord Jesus. Amen. How do we feel about people who harm children? Is it not true? Society reserves its deepest scorn in general for people who hurt the little and the vulnerable. And therefore, when Scripture deals specifically with ways that we might harm children, all of us should give special attention to that. This is not just a thing that pertains to us. Jesus himself, so often very patient, was memorably upset, still talking about it thousands of years later, it's in the scriptures upset, when he encountered people, even his own disciples, doing things that he regarded as harming children, as holding them back from the blessings that God would give to them. If James and John and Peter can fall in this way, then it's very important for you and I to ask ourselves a question, Are there beliefs that we hold that give way to behaviors that we act which limit the access of children to the blessings in Christ that God desires for them? 
And if any of us just assumes that is not the case, then that is exactly who I am speaking to this morning. Every one of us as a disciple in Jesus Christ is being called by the Holy Spirit this morning to consider how even believers sometimes hinder children from the kingdom. And in light of that, we need to seek the opposite. We need to seek ways to positively bless, not just how not to hinder them, but how to effectively bring them to the Lord for blessing. And so that's what the Holy Spirit is calling you to this morning. He's calling you to a deep desire to serve him in our service to children, both our own natural children, but also just the children of the church. And so as we consider this passage and this idea together, we're going to do so under two, or rather three main divisions. I'll bring them up as we come to them. But essentially, we're going to look first at what is the Bible revealing here concerning children? And then second, what is it revealing concerning grown-ups, concerning adults? And then finally, we are going to take some time at the end, by way of conclusion, to focus really pointedly, what does it look like for us in our time, in our congregational context perhaps even, to hinder children, and how do we do the opposite? How do we bless them? So that's what we consider this morning together. Before we come to the first main division, though, I want to help set the scene a little bit for you as you consider what this actually looked like in Mark chapter 10. Look at me again, verse 13. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. Who is they here? They is probably predominantly parents, maybe some grandparents as well, maybe even uncle, aunt. But here, families are seeking the presence of Jesus. How many? I'm going to venture that if it was just two or three children, the disciples would not have started rebuking. Jesus is dealing with crowds of five, 10, 15,000 people. Probably there are children in the order of dozens, or at times perhaps even hundreds, who are being brought to Jesus. You see this even today, when some person who's held up as very important, or maybe who has special access to God in the minds of many, comes to town, parents line the streets. They want that person to touch and to pray a blessing. And here is the Messiah of Israel, the long-awaited Savior of the world. And these parents can think, there is nothing better for my child than to come into the presence of this prophet and king and to receive his blessing. That's the right attitude from these parents. I want my kids to meet this man. And as we picture this, I'd encourage you, don't just imagine, don't limit yourself to picturing infants. Although it does say they were bringing them, and so we picture them carrying them, I think all of us who have kids of any age under about 13 bring them a lot of places. We bring our kids. But Jesus also says, let them come to me. And the them in that context is the children. It's worth noting the particular word used in Greek here for a child is not limited to infants or toddlers. It's a word that's used in the New Testament and outside of the Bible for children all the way up through about age 12. You find it in the Gospels where Jesus talks about certain children are playing in the marketplace and singing. Same term. Children who are sitting at the table eating solid food. And that causes us to envision this perhaps a little bit differently. When Jesus says, let them come to me, do not hinder them, perhaps it's not just parents who are being held back, 
but maybe six-year-olds or 12-year-olds who want to come near to Jesus, and the disciples are now rebuking this crowd of people. So that's something of the scene that we have before us. Now, what can we learn as we look at this scene and we watch Jesus interact with them? What can we learn about children according to the word? The first is this. We are to regard our children as members of the kingdom. And I do want to be careful to note something here. In the context, this is not speaking of all children indiscriminately. Though it has implications for children out there, these are the children of covenant members, and obviously professing believers who want their child to receive a blessing. These are members of the visible church as it was under the old covenant. So the children that we're dealing with are children of the covenant, and God, through Christ, is regarding them as those who possess, to whom belongs the kingdom. Look at verse 14, to such belongs the kingdom of God. Jesus doesn't say something else he could have said here. He doesn't say, to similar belongs the kingdom. In other words, he doesn't say, the kingdom belongs simply to adults who have a childlike faith to older teenagers who have made a credible profession of faith. He says, to such, these very sort, ones like these in my presence now, to such belongs the kingdom. Now we need to clarify what he then means when he says the kingdom. The word kingdom and the idea of kingship occurs all throughout the Bible and is found having several different contexts. You have to bear that in mind. When somebody says, sometimes they want to have a theological conversation, and they say, are you one kingdom or two kingdom? My question is always, what are you even talking about? What's the context that we're talking about? If we're referring to God's sovereignty over all creation, in that sense we say there is one kingdom and one alone. God is sovereign over every molecule. He's Lord of the cosmos. Everything in it. But the scripture, and overwhelmingly the gospels, also sometimes speak of kingdom in terms of a separation, a distinction between two warring realms. You have the kingdom of darkness, that is all the world united in unbelief and rebellion under our enemy, Satan. Jesus sometimes talks about that. He talks about how the strong man is the Lord over this world, talking about the devil. But then on the other hand, you have a kingdom that is associated with faith and obedience unto Christ, who gathers under his banner, who is the visible church. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 is very, very clear in making that sort of distinction. Listen to what it says. God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In other words, if you can be transferred into this kingdom through redemption, where you experience forgiveness of your sins, then it's possible to be outside of that kingdom. Where does Jesus regard the children of professing believers? He regards them as belonging, or rather, owning the kingdom. To such belongs the kingdom. He places them within that community. Consider a little bit more carefully what it means for them to possess this kingdom. 
On the one hand, here at this point, I am going to intentionally push back against something that some of us grew up in, I grew up in, and something that most of us interact with at different times. That is the position held by our brothers and sisters who are Baptists. It's ironic in a manner of speaking to call them Baptists. They are believers Baptists, or rather uh, credo-Baptists, people who profess ought to be baptized. I say it's ironic to call them Baptists because we technically baptize more people, or a wider range of people. We include our children. I have no problem regarding, and I don't think you should have a problem regarding, our Baptist brothers and sisters as just that, brothers and sisters. But they err in regarding children by default as outside of the visible church. When Jesus says to such, these very children, belongs the kingdom, he's placing them within the visible context of the church. And to them belongs all those congregational benefits of growing up among the covenant community. You have, say, Jacob and Esau, very famously in scripture. One ultimately is elect and the other is reprobate, does not come to faith. And yet they both receive the sign and they both receive the benefits. And it's not until they're older, really, that you find out what they are. But I would go even further. I would say that Jesus is going further than simply talking about formal belonging. When Jesus says to such belongs the kingdom of heaven, he's saying that children like those before him some of them do indeed experience the inward realities of the kingdom from an extremely young age. That is, the Holy Spirit works regeneration and faith much younger than sometimes we acknowledge or expect. How old was the prophet Samuel when God came to him to call him to ministry? Go back and look, he's eight. When was David first learning to trust in the Lord? According to the Psalms, while I was being nursed by my mother. How old was John the Baptist when the Holy Spirit filled him in the womb? In the womb! Now, does the Lord always work at that age? I don't presume so. I don't know. But how do we regard our children? What does this mean for us? I believe it's very, very important as disciples in the way we construct our vision of family life and of church life that we do not sow seeds of doubt in our children by defaulting to downplay their tender expressions of faith. It's not our job to try to figure out when they're still young whether or not they are being sincere. At one time, you may walk past your children's room when they're four or six years old, you hear them praying. Another time, you're on a walk with them and they say, we pray too much. Are they not believers because they have difficulties? They're children. And it's not for us to undermine that. We leave it in the hands of God until they're at such an age that they can make a credible profession of faith. This is very important. Otherwise, it sows spiritual damage. I do believe that. It causes kids to think that they don't count until they have a full adult level of understanding and faith. But the Lord places the kingdom with them. If the Lord works in children from a young age, that means children from a young age can and do come to him. Look what it says in verse 14. Let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them. You cannot under, I can't imagine that other than Jesus going from his anger at the disciples to turning to the children and saying, new rules, guys, come here. 
and he takes them into his arms and he blesses them. I want to see the face of every child right now. Jesus has time for you. Jesus wants you to come to him. Jesus values you. Jesus extends his blessings to all ages in the church, not just parents. You don't understand all the words that we say up here, but you get some of them, and everything you can hang on, hang on it as a word from Christ. Now, having said that, I do want to say, of course, it is necessary for adults to exercise discernment. We raise our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, and on a daily basis, in some sense, you are calling them, as it says in 2 Peter 2, make your calling and election sure. Being born in the church is not a pass that you just are saved. So the focus here at this point is simply on how we regard them until they're older. But that's essentially what the Lord wants us to learn in this passage about children. What then about adults? This brings us to our second main division. What should we learn concerning grown-ups? This is a lesson not just to the adults, but to the kids here too. What does Christ reveal? Look at verse 13 with me. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. The first thing that we learn here is that with the best of intentions, committed believers might in some way limit the access of children to all the blessings God would have for them. And every parent here surely knows at times we've done that. We have all done that. Even with good intentions, we often stand in the way of giving children what the Lord wants for them. Why did the disciples do this? I would probably venture that they had a misunderstanding about kingdom priorities. What Jesus ought to be focused on, what really shapes the world. They were so preoccupied with the coming of the visible kingdom right then, bringing the end of the age into the present, expecting the fullness of all the politics and the religion and everything to get changed right then, that they misunderstood that even a child can be important to Jesus who doesn't understand almost any of that. And they didn't give the time necessary. What should Jesus be doing? I imagine they thought that he ought to be meeting in that time with influencers and doing big miracles and teaching advanced lessons. All of those things were good. All of them had their place in Christ's ministry. But that doesn't mean he doesn't have time for the kids. And even so, we should have time for the kids. Everything in balance. I imagine that had these children, some of them been physically injured, the disciples might have responded differently. What do you think? If somebody had come rushing to Jesus with a child who had just fallen out of a window and died, and they have faith, Jesus will heal them. What do you, I think the disciples would have thought, this is a great opportunity for the Lord. Get out of the way of everybody. Bring them up here. This is good. But in doing that, they're showing that they place a higher emphasis upon the body of the child than the soul. If that's the only thing we can approach Jesus about, and mind you, value their bodies. But the soul matters too. Jesus says things straight in verse 14. When he saw it, he was indignant. The term, much like ours, means aroused to visible anger. 
We don't always picture Jesus angry, but Jesus gets angry. You should get angry too. This is a worthy cause. Now, James says, be angry and don't sin. We're not saying sin. But why aren't you angry at the mistreatment of children? Why does it not upset you more that there are many churches and many individuals? I'm not talking even about the world right now. Many churches and many individuals who set things up in such a way that children are made vulnerable or don't have proper access to the word of God or any other way they can be harmed. We should be mad enough to want to change things, to not sit on our hands. We should be angry enough to do boring things like write a lot of policies when it's appropriate, send emails, make phone calls, meet with people, ask accountable questions, vet some people. None of those things is exciting, and it's so easy to think, oh, that's not the kingdom work. Kingdoms are complicated. We should be willing to confront people when we believe there's sin, and that's uncomfortable. Jesus even goes further here in verse 15. He says that adults have something they can learn from children. Look with me. What can we learn from children? Truly, I say to you, and Jesus only says that because you're not going to believe it. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And here he's speaking of entering it in a spiritual sense. There are many people who participate in the visible church, but who, like in the parable of the net, will be thrown out like odd fish. They were gathered up into the visible church, but they did not have faith. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. What does it mean to receive the kingdom of God like a child? Well, what does it mean to receive things like a child? Here I'm thinking especially of the very young. I had the pleasure this week of going to the hardware store with my boys. And I'm sure that you've had the same experience or when you were a child, you did the same thing. Maybe you are a child now and you're still doing this. You walk in a store with your parents and you immediately start to ask them if you can receive things. Can I receive this? Can I receive that? And what I've noticed between my younger and my older child, probably you've noticed the same, the older sometimes offers to earn it. The younger never does. And that's not because of a difference in character. That's because transactionalism, the idea that I have to earn it, that's a learned behavior relative to children and parents. That's a learned behavior. Who teaches them that? I teach them that. But in the context of the gospel, there's no earning. As it relates to some of the benefits and blessings within Christian life, sure, there's going to be consequences if you disobey and blessings if you obey. But as it comes to simply receiving the kingdom, you must come with empty-handed expectation that the Lord will simply, as a father, give it to you. That means if you are burdened under the weight of a conscience guilty with sin, no matter if it's that you cursed this one time or you murdered your family, and I mean that seriously, the Lord receives sinners who come with an open hand to receive grace. Like children who say, I need a father. We have something then to learn, and it does seem that the disciples learned these lessons well. When you go into the epistles, you find that not only do they, by and large, directly address children, 
And for that reason, I will never be ashamed. I hope no pastor is ashamed to address children from the pulpit. The apostles do. Jesus does. And if that means that at times we have to do things a little more simply, fine. But they also come to refer to the brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ often as children. It becomes John's preferred way of addressing believers, little children. And that means we have to see ourselves in some sense that way. People who are dependent. Have we learned that lesson? Here we come to our third and final division. I simply want to lay before you some very definite, some very concrete ways that Christians and maybe people in our church are presently hindering children from coming and receiving the blessings that Christ has for them. And then alternatively, what can we do about it? First, here again, Jesus' words, verse 14, let the children come to me. Not simply to moralism, not simply to church per se, but our goal is for children to meet Christ in and through education, in and through the music, in and through the friendships. The goal is for them to meet Christ. And I dare to say not every parent has that as their goal. They may have any number of things that they want their child to experience in church life, and yet it not be genuinely to know Christ. And it must be our goal. He says, let them come to me. But of course, Jesus is bodily ascended. We can't bring him or them to him in that physical sense. Where can we bring our children to meet Jesus? What has he called his body in this world? Believers, particularly the gathering, the formal gathering of believers that we call church life. He calls this his body. Where do we hear his voice? According to the scripture, the primary means he has appointed is preaching. It baffles me. I don't think it's because of the greatness of the ministers. Paul speaks of the foolishness of preaching and how God uses it to shame the wives. And I challenge the parents here, or those who would be parents, or those who are guardians, don't hinder your children from experiencing the presence of Christ in the fellowship of the church and the hearing the word by not regularly attending church. Sometimes there are hardships. Sometimes there are exceptions that mean you are not present. I'm not talking about that. We keep attendance here, but not of individuals. We have a general sense of if attendance is up or down. We're not keeping an eye on you in particular, per se. Don't misunderstand me. This is, at this moment, between you and the Lord relative to your child. And out of joy, wanting to bring them to Christ to hear his word and to experience the fellowship of the church together. I want to contend very specifically against normalizing remote viewing. That is not church, nor will it ever be in this world, cosmos, forever. It's a blessing. It's tremendously awesome that there is the opportunity to watch services remotely for those who are unable for a variety of reasons. Don't get me wrong. It's not church. Church is a gathering of people in person who serve a Christ who is raised in the body, not virtually. The apostles again and again in the epistles say, I would rather be with you in person. And you should therefore want your children to be there in person. 
You should want the family of the church to be so familiar, hence the word, that they become to you family. I'd encourage you opportunities like this past Wednesday with the song night. Specific nights don't work for everybody all the time. That's not the point. Opportunities like that are not simply something where you say, well, I like meals, so I go to snacks. Or I like music, so I go to the Wednesday song night. It's about expressing, experiencing, and embodying the unity of Christ's people in the world. So the children experience that. That leads to another way that we sometimes hinder our children when we exclude them from the worship service. Now, we don't do that at this church. But some of you will, at some point, go to other churches. You'll move away, something will happen, you move. I exhort you, be very cautious about uniting yourself and your family at a church where the children do not sit in the service. I experienced that as a kid. I made it all the way to age 18, not sitting in an adult service. And I say it anecdotally, the vast majority of kids with whom I sat in youth group, and our youth group was huge because it was tailored to youth in really cool ways. I had a great youth pastor, not a bad one. But the vast majority of the youth left the church, and I don't think they've come back. But if I'm honest, they didn't leave the church because they were never in it. They left youth group. And they left having things tailored to their youth mindset. And they weren't brought along into maturity. God speaks to congregations. Hear what it says in Nehemiah 8, verse 2. Those who assembled to hear the scripture and sermon, and I quote, those who assembled, Nehemiah 8, 2, were made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. How you reckon the age of understanding may be different. Some churches will say five, others will say 12. But they're clearly not men and women in that text. They're children. Otherwise, they just say men and women. Kids are, according to the scriptures, to be with us in worship. I would argue, bar none. Everyone else is wrong. Deal with it. But, I mean, the majority, arguably the majority of evangelical Christians, and we are evangelical in the sense of upholding the fundamentals of the gospel, in our city exclude children from worship. How did they get there? By not asking what the Bible says, just asking what do people want? Take that Christianity, bin it, because it doesn't work. It seems like it works. The churches get bigger. But it doesn't work because it doesn't expand the kingdom in God's way. You get more bodies. You don't get more believers. I will not go in this sermon into a a third way, which is withholding the blessings of the sacrament of baptism. We've touched on that enough. But then fourth and finally, pay attention, it's the last one and we're almost done. I believe that parents often neglect and members in the church neglect to bring the full benefits to their kids within their own home. They think, well, the school will do it and the church will do it. But then on a daily basis, they forget that Deuteronomy 6 says that it's our duty to speak with our children about the covenant, to speak with them about discipleship. On a daily basis, we should be striving, and I know it's hard. We should be repenting. We should be bringing our children to Christ for blessing. Not just hoping he does and praying to him, but leading them in the word to him. I'd be happy if any of you have questions about resources for that. Be very happy to share those with you, and others can too. But here, I don't want to leave you on the note of, oh, we have fallen short. 
which we have. We've also excelled in many ways as a church, and we give thanks for that. I want to leave you on the note, what if you have fallen? What if your kids are already grown and you feel like you missed the mark? You have no other option but to do as Christ has described here. Come like children, receive the promise. He forgives. We aren't saved by our parenting. We're called to it, but we're not saved by it. May the Lord help all of us tend to these kids in a way that brings them to the Lord. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we bless you and we thank you for having chosen in wisdom and mercy to place our children among us, to be raised in the fear and admonition of the Lord. We cast our cares before you, acknowledging that we are often worried for them. We acknowledge before you that you have an elect number. You will bring them to faith. We praise you that you have taught us to have no reason to doubt but to leave these things that are secret in your hands. We ask that the things that are visible, you would help us to attend to with all diligence. Teach us, Lord, especially the figureheads of houses, that you would help us to teach our children what it looks like to depend upon you, to give them not only good morals, but to found them upon the gospel of mercy and grace to teach them dependence upon the Holy Spirit. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.